So if you've been listening to the show for a while, uh, you know that uh, I have always been obsessed with comic book art. I've been obsessed with illustrations. I've been obsessed with figure drawing. Um, It's kind of my origin story. That's where I got into this business. That's how I got into this business. And you can go back and listen to some of the early episodes in which I talk about what an uh, what a what a troubled kid I was. I hated uh, reading. I hated reading books. And to save uh, my mind, my mom went out and bought me a handful of comic books and tossed them in front of me and said, hey, if you're going to read, at least read these, okay? At least learn how to read by reading these comic books. And that kind of changed everything for me. Um, I got lost in the storytelling art that is panels. I got lost in the two-dimensional uh, worlds that these artists would would uh, draw and build and create. And uh, I just loved them. There's something about staring at an image and creating the story around that image subconsciously. Um, I, I, there was something so magical about flipping through a comic book and seeing this world in my mind, like starting with that initial image and then filling in those blanks. Seeing how Spider-Man would actually swing to the next building and how he would land on that building. And in my head, what it looked like as he sort of postured himself to jump off the next ledge. I love that about comic books. That's what really got me into this storytelling world. Um, And I learned pretty early on that I didn't have the tolerance or the patience for the detail that went into illustration. Um, I love it. I just came impatient when it came down to like cross-hatching and shadowing. And I was just like, come on. Can I just duplicate this and get this over with? Um, and maybe that falls on my my fear of time. You know, this is a big this is a big new narrative for me, dealing with therapy and my therapist telling me that time has always been an, a source of anxiety for you, uh, not getting things done fast enough, not having things happen the way you want them to happen at the schedule that you want them to happen. So maybe that was a big factor in me not just jumping into the world of comic book illustration. I still use those skills daily when I do my storyboard work or when I'm putting together shots or ideas. Um, And I still reference all that stuff when I think about lighting. And you guys know what a lighting nerd I am, what a fan of of creating volumetrics and creating depth in a two-dimensional image with lighting and color. I love that stuff. It's, It's as good as cooking a great steak for me. Um, And so today, I'm excited. Today, uh, in the best way that I possibly can, I am connecting to one of my idols as an artist, one of the most influential uh, painters of my childhood. Um, And uh, today's episode helps me get, I guess, a little bit closer to him, even though he's passed away. I mean, he's been gone since, what was it, 2010, I think? Um, but his work still lives on and his work is continuously living on through Instagram. Um, that's how I found today's guest was that my Instagram feed, however, they've clocked my, my mental pathways. They know that I was a huge fan of Frank Frazetta. They know it. And so my feed would continuously show me these amazing death dealer spreads, old Conan illustrations, the gorgeous, voluptuous curves of a Frank Frazetta uh, uh, warrior goddess or sci-fi goddess. Um, 
This stuff has been influencing my work since the beginning. I would say he's as influential as Jim Lee is when it comes to my compositions for photography, when it comes to the way I see things colored, 100%. Um, and uh, because of Instagram, I was able to meet today's guest, uh, the amazing Frank Frazetta's granddaughter, Sarah Frazetta, um, who has now sort of taken the mantle and she is uh, in charge of running the Frazetta Girls website. Uh, she's in charge of merch. She's in charge of uh, IP for Frazetta. Uh, it's really fascinating. Um, and uh, she was a fan, which is super cool. It's really cool to find somebody following you that you, you're just like, how the fuck is this happening? <laughs> how did you find me? Like, whoa, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm totally in on this. Um, and so uh, her and I have been talking for the past couple of weeks, just trying to put together uh, a show date, and uh, we made it work this morning. Hello. Welcome to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Come on in. Grab a seat. I know it's a, a rough morning. It's been a rough start for me. It's the day after July 4th, July 4th weekend, and holy shit, what a crazy weekend we had. Gina and I went on quite the adventure this weekend multiple parties, multiple events. If you guys have been following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy, you saw my uh, my wrestler sunglasses from the other night when we went to a pool party here in town. Got to hang out with some of my old buds. We were hanging out with Will, Lance, uh, my buddy Nick. Um, everybody got to get together and uh, we had way too many drinks, a little too much tequila, uh, and a lot of food. And we're just... <laughs> We're on the eve of I th of what I think is going to be an incredibly social summer, uh, which is a wonderful thing to say after, you know, how many years of confinement we had and how many years of just yearning and regretting not being able to get together with folks and hang out. Um, it's just the month of June has already been this incredible start for us. I talked about it last week. Um, when I put out, or earlier this week, because I'm uh, my schedules are all crazy. I'm recording this episode on what is today? Tuesday, right? Is today a Tuesday? Yeah, right. Yes, today's Tuesday, Tuesday the fifth. Um, I'm gonna put this fucker out on Thursday, and I'm rearranging most of the time. Most of the time, I would do like a recipe episode on Thursday and a main episode, but uh, we're swapping it around because I wanted to do my recipe episode for the fourth, which. I hope you guys got to uh, hear and try out. Maybe you guys made some smash burgers. Uh, I did have some fans uh, repost to me on Instagram that they tried out my smoked wings recipe. Uh, big shout out to you guys. Fuck yeah, those wings looked really good. Um, have you guys been able to try out our recipes? I know you've been asking for them. I just started a new... Uh, recipe section on inlovewiththeprocess.com. That's where I'm putting up those recipe episodes. And so uh, I know many of you are, you know, drooling over the stuff that I do on Instagram. Let me just tell you, I'm, I'm no magician, man. You can do this stuff too. Uh, and I tried to walk you through the processes that I use to make the food the way I do. Um, I'll try to do a bunch more. I've had a lot of requests for rib episodes. We'll do that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited with the direction that the show has gone, which is this beautiful love of art, film, and food. And and are you guys enjoying it too? 
let me know. Drop me a note on Instagram at Mike Petchy or at In Love With The Process Pod on Instagram. Oh, my acid reflux is pissing me off today. Too much tequila. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's see what else is going on. Um, trying to get a bunch of things in the works. Um, I just got all of my guest pins in play. Um, I know that uh, you guys are going to be excited I don't know if it's going to be next week or the week after, but I'm going to have Zach Matthews on the show who designed the pins. He also designed the Skull Microphone logo that has been the uh, main logo for the show this year. Um, we're going to get him on the show. We're going to talk about these pins. We're going to talk about some merch that uh, is coming together for us, um, stuff that you guys can get your hands on. I'm also going to be setting up the Patreon Um I've been talking a lot about this with a lot of you fans and a lot of folks want me to do it. So uh, I'm going to try to figure out the time to get that done before the summer ends. We'll get the Patreon up there. And I know that you're looking at the number for today's episode and you're like, where did episode 200 go? I haven't recorded it yet. And I refuse to number any of my shows until I get episode 200 recorded. And then I'll do 200. And then all these shows will then be numbered. So technically, today's episode is probably 201, technically, right? Um, but I just haven't been able to lock down everybody's schedules because good news, most of my friends are all working. Everybody is getting jobs right now, which is nice. Bad news, when I'm trying to put together a celebratory episode, it becomes very difficult to do. So bear with me as we go through the process of making that happen. Um... Anyway, let's not draw this out. I'm excited that you guys are here, so pull up a seat. Uh, Sarah's on her way. Uh, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about her worlds. We're going to talk about what it was like growing up with the legendary Frank Frazetta and where uh, what she saw uh, being his granddaughter. I think she's the oldest of the grandchildren, so she got to spend time with him. I think when he passed, she was like about 21, so uh, she definitely knew Frank. Um, and uh, maybe we'll get a little bit more uh, about a guy that has influenced so many artists out there. I mean, like, dude, George Lucas loves him. Um, fucking uh, Guillermo del Toro thinks he's one of the best artists of our generation. And uh, Robert Rodriguez is, is going to be remaking Frazetta's original film, Fire and Ice. I think that's still on the books. So um, for those of you who don't know who Frazetta is... Get ready, strap yourselves in for the brand new episode of In Love With The Process, and you know the deal. Grab those noise-canceling headphones, crank them to 11, sit back and relax, and uh, go on a journey with me and Sarah Fazetta on the new episode of In Love With The Process.
Sarah, it is great to have you on the show. How are you? It is great to be here after this long weekend, and we're both going to just be pushing through this, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because you you rebooked your booking, and then I was like, oh, cool, it's tomorrow morning. Oh, I could be a man about this. I have to get back to work, all right? It's after the holiday. And then when I wrote to you last night, I was like going to bed after having some beers, and I'm like, all right, I need another half hour. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think everyone was feeling like that collectively today. I was driving on the highway, and I'm like, wow, we're all we're all in bad shape today. That's it's a it's definitely collective America, you know. (laughs) Yeah. uh Where Where are you Where are you from right now? Where are you living these days? I'm in Sarasota, Florida. Um, I'm originally from the Northeast, but my family, my grandpa came down here in 95 and and brought us part, brought part of the family down. And I've been down in um, Southwest Florida ever since. Oh, okay. Yeah. This morning, it's a little different out here in Los Angeles. I don't understand uh, how the residents of LA do this, but like after a night of ridiculous fireworks, the, the air quality account is like almost 200 in the unhealthy range. And I tried to ride my bike this morning and I'm like, this is like smoking six pack cigarettes. <laughs> I can't do this. Oh, it's, it's bad. It's, it's bad over here too. I mean, the humidity, I don't, I don't know what that does like scientifically, how if it stagnates it more or less, but I my eyes are burning this morning, Ugh. and I'm like, "Damn fireworks! Ugh. I hate this country." I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I, have my, I have my dogs. They were my cat. They're all freaking out. I'm freaking out. I'm like, "Okay, you know, it's one thing." I think when Fourth of July falls on like I don't know Friday, yeah. but this you know we got we got the Friday fireworks, Saturday, Sunday, yes. and Monday. Yes, I'm like this is. This is insane, but it's over. So yay. <laughs> yay. I would just wait for the wind to blow it out of here. I'm like this weak little asthmatic that's sitting here. I, I am tied to, I can't, I'm, I'm, it's, you know, like I'm, I'm 33 years old and I feel like I'm 90 most days. I'm like, this isn't, this isn't looking good. This is not, this is, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make it to 60, Mike. It's not good. <laughs> we sound like two middle-aged Italians. That's what that sounds we, like. Right? That's what it is. That's the Italian in us. I, what, now, where are you from? Like, where, where is your family from in Italy? They originally were from Tuscany, so like right outside okay. of Cortona, I think is originally where okay. My dad did all the hit. My dad hit his midlife crisis, and then he was like, I'm digging deep. And he now he's writing, <laughs> now he's writing books on family on family history and stuff. And, um, th- That's great. That's so Italian of him. It very, very much is. <laughs> very much is. <laughs> my family's, uh, I have my, my grandpa, Frank, he's a uh, 100% Sicilian blood. Mm-hmm. And then on um, my dad's side, we had um, the Tarassi, so that was Sicilian. And my mom said she used to pray to God every night to get a full-blooded Sicilian, even though that's, you know, that's not how genetics work, but whatever. Um, and, 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 and then I came out her little Sicilian baby and, and, you know, I'm, I'm using my hands right now as we're talking. It's like, it's part of it. You know, do you use your hands a lot? I do. I have to put my microphone okay. up high enough so that I don't hit my microphone when I start talking. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you hear me doing that, say, Sarah, calm down. It's, it's calm down. Put, put the hands down. <laughs> Grab something. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be swinging at each other through this whole conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pretty much. <laughs> all right, so so big time Sicilian family, right? Were you guys a big food family? Obviously, you know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So my grandma, her name was Ellie, and she was Irish, but she the Irish food. Uh, uh-huh. So she kind of adopted. She adopted the practices of my grandpa, and I mean, we. I remember God Thanksgiving. 
the, the dinner would start at like noon and, and you'd have so many different courses and you should just keep force feeding us. And we're like, we don't, we don't want any more food, grandma. And, and the weirdest thing, this is not Italian, but the weirdest thing she did was she would not let us drink while we were eating what? liquids. What? Cause she said the it, it, very strange. She said, she said the food wouldn't digest as well. So all my cousins and I were like, <laughs> we were like dying. So we'd be drinking the applesauce. <laughs> like this is the closest we can get to water. But she, she was very, very vigilant on not allowing us to drink liquid. So that was even during Thanksgiving. It was the weirdest thing. And my Wild. family and I still talk about this to this day. <laughs> so I don't know. I, <laughs> sorry to digress. <laughs> no, I love it. You guys are just a bunch of D hydrated Sicilians at this point. Yeah. <laughs> like, Maybe that's my problem, Mike. I, I was chronically dehydrated yeah. as a child. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, where uh, where were you born? How did you come up? So I was born in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Um, my, gra- my grandpa was born in Brooklyn. They made it over to uh, Merrick, Long Island. They stayed there until he was in his 40s. And then he was pretty much like done with city life. He's like, I'm done. I don't want neighbors. I don't want to see anybody. I want to go back. I want to go in nature and shoot my guns and, you know, <laughs> take my photography and just be completely away from people. So he found this secluded, um, I think it was 60 to 70 acres of property in, in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, which was like really close to the Poconos. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know that, yeah, that yeah. lover's manor in the Poconos with the weird hot tubs. And yeah, it's really close to that. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was, it was a little strange. My background, my, my family all lived on this 60 acre, like compound <laughs> of sorts. Um, my, my grandma was very obviously controlling. So she was like, all my kids were all, you all getting houses on the property. <laughs> so my mom had a house on the property, my uncle, my aunt, but I mean, it was great as a kid because you're with your cousins and you get to run over across the field to grandma's house. Sure. Um, but as an adult in hindsight, it's a little, it's, it's strange. It's very strange. I'm like, that's, that's my life. So when I was like six years old, my grandparents got a house in, in Florida and my mom was like, we need to be down here. So they eventually followed my grandparents down to Florida and we'd go back in the summers up to Pennsylvania and just, you know, it was, it was to get a nice freaking break from the heat. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, I wish yeah. I could do that right now. Cause Florida heat, oh, oh, it's, it's, it's devastating. I think it's hot everywhere though. So I don't, I don't, I'm just not, I haven't been very savvy into looking into the weather, but I, I hear most people complaining right about now. Yeah. Besides you in California. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty, I mean, I can't really bitch too much. I mean, other than the, uh, <laughs> other than the, uh, state catching on fire and then breathing in fire all the time. I, I mean, the weather's That's, pretty great yeah. here. I, like last week we had some pretty intense over 90 degree, almost hundred degree sort of weather, but then we're back down to the seventies again. So I'm not going to bitch. Uh, it's it's but you and there's don't no have humidity. the mosquitoes, right? You don't have the mosquitoes. Well, here's there? the thing. It's funny that we're on this, but here's the thing. Um, when I came to visit here in LA years ago, no mosquitoes, and then when we moved here, vicious little fuckers. And these are the ones that like attack your ankles. These are like little man-eating uh. ankle ones. And the rumor is, so there's a bunch of different stories. The rumor is is that they came in on shipping containers. And that they uh, started to breed out here. And these are the little ones that carry like West Nile that are out here. And so then the other rumor is, and I can't, I call it a rumor because I've never done the research. But the, <laughs> yeah. the, the other rumor is that they supposedly released another strain of mosquitoes to fight the little guys. And so we do have them now. So it went from being like that is no mosquitoes uh, to mosquitoes. That, that's 
That's the worst news I've ever heard, Mike. Like I'm, I was like, I'm like, all right, one day I'm getting out to California, no mosquitoes, oh, yeah. and and now that's ru- that's ruined. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, mm-hmm. this is tragic. That's what I do this for you on a tragic. Tuesday morning after Fourth uh, of July. I'm here to ruin your dreams. <laughs> that's what's happening. <laughs> all right, well, I'm gonna. I, I need to still check out Hawaii. Maybe that's still a, a viable option. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the dream. But no, I mean we have we have the little ones out here that are the ankle biters and carrying all the diseases, and then we have these like giant ones that i think are like maybe a new species because i believe again this is a a rumor because i haven't looked into this either but i believe there were were talks of scientists breeding them so that they would make big mosquitoes and then the big mosquitoes would impregnate the little mosquitoes and make them infertile but i don't think that's i don't think it's working i think it's like a a science experiment gone wrong which you know (laughs) many of many of those (laughs) let me let me just say at the risk of insulting you i'll take that with a grain of salt considering your grandma that was like, don't drink water when you eat food. <laughs> Good idea. Take everything with a grain of salt. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> um, well, you know, we met via Instagram, you know, the world, the World Wide Web. Um, and, you know, obviously, I can't have you on the show without talking about your grandfather and talking about the work and the work that you have been continuing. Um, uh, obviously, Frazetta is such a huge influence to so many people. And uh, we were just talking offline because um, you got to take a look at my film, 12 Cam, and you were very kind to be complimenting the way that we put it together. It's obvious that I was a child that grew up loving uh, your grandfather's work and a lot of illustrators. I wanted to be a comic book artist when I was a kid. So for me, the next best thing was to make movies and do that because I felt like I was able to use all of those same techniques, composition techniques, working with atmosphere, working with lighting and trying to get light to be captured on film. Um, It was very much influenced by the work of your grandfather for that. So. I don't know if you saw it or not. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yes, I did see it. And that, that was the first thing I thought when I saw your work. I was like, oh, my God, this is so refreshing to see someone with incredible taste. And every frame could be framed on a wall as a piece of artwork. And and that takes uh, that takes so much care and attention and just a vision, just a, an inherent vision. I, 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 I'm, I'm one of those that kind of believes in the... And you got to have the talent too. You got to have the ninety percent work, and then and the ten percent talent. You can't have all one hundred percent work. Got to have a little bit. But I see that with you. You're just it, really, really incredible. The atmosphere you create, create. It's like, you know, I, I, when it's a great story on top of it, wonderful. But I could just sit there with it muted and and have such an experience. And Thank and you. also the way that you you direct the actors. Again, it's so I've talked about this a couple of times in the past week. You could have the most incredible actors, but if they're not directed properly, it makes them look very terrible. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's such a tragic thing because they have this ability, but you but we but we, they need to be directed properly. They need to the 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 the, 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 you're the director you're the you're the visionary and and I also love your appreciation for music and I don't know how much you're involved with with scoring it or um, if you hire someone you okay yeah. like and and then I could tell from your your show too the the intros I just sit there and listen to the synths and I'm like this is so great you're so refreshing Mike <laughs> oh thank you thank you um, I, I wasn't mining that compliment by the way audience it was <laughs> but it was really nice to hear it it's very nice to hear that um, oh my the the yeah sorry go ahead what were you saying 
Oh, no, you go ahead, Mike. I don't know if uh, you asked a question. I couldn't remember. <laughs> no, we just have slight lag over the internet. So um, the the thing that's really great, and well, let me ask you these. Let me ask you this. So did you follow in your grandfather's footsteps at all? Were you someone that liked to draw or illustrate? Is it, Was that ever part of your life? So when we were kids, we all drew. My grandpa really never sat down and taught any of us. He He wasn't he never even talked about art with us. His art was just something that was around us all of the time. It was more my grandma, who was the businesswoman behind the Frazetta merchandising and licensing and, mm -hmm. you know, keeping the art and selling the art. So, so she was, she was the one that was usually in the museum and, and locked my grandpa out of the museum because by this time, I, so I was born in 88. My grandpa had a major stroke in 96 and that's when he lost the ability to use his right hand and he had to switch over to his left hand. Crazy. So, it was yeah he he was freaking so determined to just to just be the best he could be under under any circumstance with anything in his life that he put his mind to but my my grandpa at the end um after 96 he started he started toying with the art a little bit too much for my grandma's liking because he was using his left hand he would take a painting and dare i say ruin it Mm. And, and but 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 to my grandpa he was like hey this is my art don't tell me what to do um, and my grandma was like, I'm going to tell you what to do. Cause that artwork's going to be worth a million dollars and don't you touch it and don't get out of the museum. So, so my grandma was really the one that was kind of by that time running everything. And my grandpa was just like the ideal grandpa. He was the one that you'd come in, you'd come in his studio. He had the sunken studio and he'd always be in there cause he loved watching films. He loved watching sports. Uh -huh. He'd always be listening to like Frank Sinatra or like Stravinsky um, he had his own dark room where he would develop his cam uh, his film because he was a huge camera enthusiast. That's cool. Um, I mean, uh, uh, photography was number one for him like, really? by far. And then, and yeah, and then, and then baseball, baseball was, he could have been a baseball player. Um, and then, then painting came, eh, let's women, then painting. So that was, <laughs> that, that, that was, the, that was the order, but, but he just made our childhood and there was 11 grandchildren. I was the first of the 11. So I did get luckily to spend a lot of time with him and yeah. he was, he pretty much, pretty much raised me. Um, but we didn't spend time going over any art techniques. He, he really with, with his art, with, with painting, like I, like I said, from, from that order, he only had he only painted in this point of his career when he had to make money when he had to do something and he was like it's a job i i labor over this it's tiring it's not fun yeah um yeah so he'd, he'd rather talk like i said about about films and like night of the hunter he was obsessed with robert oh, mitchum oh, so and good. yeah so good. <laughs> so good so good and we watched that film I don't, I mean, I, I, I want to say hundreds of times and we watched the original King Kong, um, uh, his, his movie fire and ice with Ralph Bakshi, uh -huh. um, uh -huh. and, and, um, right. Oh, um, fire, what is it? Uh, Fantasia, Disney's Fantasia. That oh, was a yeah. huge influence in his artwork. And yeah, so it was just, I mean, if we weren't inside watching films or playing the, the OG Nintendo, we were outside looking at the property where he'd be picking berries and showing me like the mosses and how they grew and telling me about the land. So it was just such a incredible experience with him. And I didn't, I, I never, again, I, I, I saw his artwork. I, I 
just didn't really pair him with the artwork and say, I want to be like my, my grandpa because he was so into other things. Yeah. And I, I think I always did have a curiosity though about film. Like I, even when I was a little girl, I would act and I, I'm definitely not more like a, a director. I don't have like a vision like, like my grandpa did, like you have, but I have like such a passion for being involved in the vision. Uh-huh. And, and I, I, so I always wanted to do something something creative. Um, but I also had a, a little bit of a knack for business. So I'm like, well, can I, you know, I want to, it's of course, and that's creative is you have to, to be successful. You have to know the business too. Sure, but, sure, but, sure. But, as a, but, as a, but as a young girl, you can, you can compartmentalize them and say, Oh, do I want to go into business or creative? You don't, you don't think like that. So yeah, long answer. He, he definitely influenced me, but not in a direct way of, Oh, I want to paint like this legendary artist who, I can't even believe is my grandfather. I, d- I didn't think like that. Yeah. I never really, I guess I, maybe I had heard it once, but I, I never really put two and two together that he was big into photography. It makes a lot of sense. I think the stuff that makes uh, your grandfather's work so special to me is his understanding of light. Like he really has uh, an amazing eye for light. Um, has his, has he released, have you guys released any of his photographs? Has he taken any really good stuff? We posted some photographs but when the family was feuding and dividing everything. A lot of them were, were taken and they're held hostage by certain family members when we're still trying to hunt them down and, you know, make, bring peace offerings. <laughs> but yeah. I, I got, I got a couple, a couple hundred of his old slides and he, he, his photos were mainly the ones that they were either really erotic and uh, of my grandmother and other women. And those are the ones I do not have. I, it's it's kind of weird because it's my grandma, but I'd still like to see them for the sake of art and his references. Sure. But I did get a lot of old family photos that he took of like my mom, his, his, um, her sister and her brothers. And every single one looked like a Norman Rockwell painting. Like it was, he, he really, and I don't know how he did it with those old cameras. He just, he really captured that peak moment of action or mm-hmm. storytelling and and yeah the lighting he was always so incredible with that and that was his inherent talent i believe because what he did these little storybooks god he must have been 11 years old and he was creating these little flip books and the way that he understood at 11 years old the depth and again, the lighting Crazy. and the shadows it was it was incredible i'm like this this kid just he just had it and then he worked at it and became a legend but it's definitely in, uh, photography. It was such a, a again, so he was so passionate about it. He loved it more than anything. Yeah, it's weird. <clears throat> it took me years. It took me years to sort of. <laughs> I always reference it to like uh, the old John Carpenter movie They Live, where like you find mm. you put on the glasses and you look around and suddenly everybody's aliens. Like it's the same thing with lighting for me. It took me years to sort of get over the idea that it was this magical thing that uh, I really couldn't wrap my head around. And it was uh, a couple of techniques that I learned that it was like someone put the glasses on and I was able to see it. I was able to understand it and see it and understand the differences in color and lighting that naturally happen. And then really sort of process like, oh, it's, it's actually a very simplistic thing. And when I was younger, I would overcomplicate it. There's this old joke that when you start in the movie business, uh, you never really have enough money for the right amount of 
gear to do what it is that you needed, mm-hmm. or at least when I came up. <clears throat> and so to, what you would end up doing when you were shooting movies or, or your student films, they'd give you these packages of a lot of little lights. So you'd have all these tiny little light units. Um, and you're trying to replicate the work of Hollywood, which most of the time meant that they had these giant light sources and a bunch of different crew guys to put them up outside windows and do all this. But you're trying to re- recreate this with tiny little Fresnel units or like these little sources. And and uh, I remember just being so hyper-focused on the complicated details of that, of like, how do I take these five units and try to make it look like one unit and make this happen? And I remember just sort of graduating and getting to a point in my career where it was like, less is more, dude. Less is way fucking more. And just have it be a single source or have it be a window source or have it be something that's bigger and and it, it wraps around people more. And it really changed the work. And then the work started to feel a lot more painterly and natural and exciting. And, uh, you know, for him to be understanding that stuff at such a young age, oh my God, of course, that would lead to the career that he had. I wish I had put those, I was able to put those glasses on at 15 years old. It would have changed the time. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting you're saying that because I do think that, I mean, and, and I, I believe so many do fall into that trap. I mean, even with me, with creative, whatever I'm doing, I overthink it way too much. I'm like, this is, this is insane. Yeah. And, and I, but with, with him that you just nailed it because he always, he, when he went to, like I mentioned earlier, he wasn't a teacher when people would want to ask him about his process as, his method for doing art, he would kind of get offended. Like he just didn't want to talk about it. And, and he didn't really know how to explain it because I just, I think the beautiful magic of Frank Frazetta is he really didn't overthink it. Yeah. And it's like, he's just one of those damned people that it's like, really, you just don't overthink it. You just do it. And, and that's how he really lived his life. Not, not overthinking things. He was more of a, he was a simple man. And it's that's there's the secret, Mike. Not overthinking anything. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's hard and, to get into that mindset. It really is sometimes, you know. It, it it's really really hard. I think what I find sometimes, like with, with whether it's you know thinking of a, a something for marketing, branding, social media, whatever whatever I'm doing, photography that day. What I try to just go into like more of like a silence. And because I think I get I get so overwhelmed by by stimulation from being on Instagram or mm-hmm. being like watching TV. And it's hard to find it's hard to really channel your own voice if you don't get into that that quietness. So that's what I'm trying to, to do is to just be more quiet and go for walks and and have things like be more of a vessel to to the source of giving me ideas and and i think that's again what my grandfather did is he was he allowed that he he liked his quiet time and then he could he could have images pop in his head because he wasn't so overstimulated it's funny that you bring that up because that seems to be one of the themes of at least the past 10 episodes that we've been doing and it doesn't matter what medium it is that you're playing with. It's this idea of how to, it was put really well on one of the other episodes. It's like, how do I, how do I tend a garden? How do I tend the creative garden without forcing it? How do I create the atmosphere in which I'm allowed to be inspired? I can find that inspiration because I think a lot of 
when you start to mix the business and the creative, it's two different mindsets, right? The business yeah. is like, okay, so there's a chest somewhere that has all these great ideas in it. And so let's just go down to that fucking chest today and, and pull out an idea and sell it, you know? And that's kind of that mindset where if you are a creative uh, you realize that I don't have a chest full of ideas. I don't have right. this locked away thing. I have the ability to see an idea or to f or recognize an idea when it comes to me and understand that that's something special. And I, I spend most of my time as almost like an idea farmer where there's uh, a glimmer of something that I'll write down that six years from now will become something that's really phenomenal. Like, you know, right, right. And now when Mike, when you, when you get your ideas, do you, when you have like just something come through, do you rework it a bunch of times and like take it from all different angles or like, how do you, how do you get to that, that final product with, with an idea? I used to do that. I mean, there's this, you know, if you're making pizza, right. If you're going to make a pizza, <laughs> yeah. you don't want to smash the dough. You don't want to like yeah. overwork that dough. You want like those areas of those nice pockets of air and everything that's in it. And when I was, when I was, you know what it is. So I've been doing therapy over the past year and a half. It, it, it's intentionally because this business sucks so much. So, <laughs> so therapy in order to get through this business. And one of the things that we've discovered, me and my therapist, is that one of my big triggers is time. Time is like a huge trigger for most people. Where it's like, mm -hmm. uh, when I decided to step into this business years ago and walk away from like painting houses and working with my hands and doing construction. My mantra was you have to earn every day, like earn every day that you're not working full time. Um, and I haven't had a real job in oh, Jesus, almost 28 years or whatever it's been. So it's been a ridiculous amount of time. Um, so that anxiety was ingrained in me. And that anxiety was such an important thing when I was younger, because it was what was fueling me. It was the sense of like, earn this today. What are you doing? Teach yourself something, learn something, get there, you mess with something else. And so that was very useful when you're learning technique, when you're learning the skills, because those are all very much in your control. Mining ideas is not in your control. Like coming up with great ideas isn't. And I, when I was younger, I would sort of beat, my, beat it into myself. I'd see something that was inspiring to me and I'd go, well, I could do something like that. How do I write something that was like that? And almost like a bull in a China shop, I just sort of run into like this, <laughs> it's not even a creative space, what I thought was my creative space. And then sort of beat myself up for not being able to figure it out. And th mm -hmm. that was a lot of my early stuff. And then I realized as I got older, that I would write down these ideas and they would just sort of stack in this idea book. And it was really doing music videos that changed it for me. Because when, you, when you're hired to do a music video, it comes out of left field most of the time. It's, it comes at you and they go, okay, you have three weeks from conception to finish and uh, you need to come up with an idea today. And so you'd have to come up with really smart it, from my ang angle, visual ideas consistently. And so mm -hmm. what I started to teach myself to do was like put together my books of just thoughts. So it was like, here's a bunch of interesting thoughts that are, I'm just going to write down so I don't forget the specifics, but they're always kicking in my brain somewhere. And then I'm going to create what I'd call inspiration folders, where if I found a picture online that had really great lighting, or if I found like a really cool outfit or color coordination stuff, I'd put that into my my folder of inspiration. 
So when I got that random phone call that was like, hey, uh, you know, Ozzy wants you to write a video treatment for him and it needs to be in in two days, then I would just sit there and go, let me listen to the music. Let me go through my book of ideas and let me go through this visual inspiration stuff and see if anything sticks. And mm. what I didn't realize what I was doing was I was allowing myself to let ideas come to me while going through that stuff. Um, and the more I did it, the better I got at it. And these days I don't even need the uh, inspiration folder anymore. I don't even need that. It's more um, allowing what I can visualize in my own mind after, you know, spending years lighting and doing all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, no, I love that. I love that, that process that you have. And it's, it's true when you're when you're doing it for so long, then you don't you don't need to have a, a physical folder or something like a, a mood board anymore because it's just you who you are day in and day out for for twenty eight years and and I, I think you know that's it, it, it. I wanted to ask you one thing you said with the music videos. So you listen to the music and mm -hmm. you and you formulate out your idea. Do you do the same thing with music when you're writing um, like a short film or like it, do you do you usually have something that kind of like opens your mind like do you find music as a, a, a good, good tool to to directing in general yes um, yes I do uh, one of the things that I've been trying to do as I get further into my career is I try to hook up with composers early so that I'm listening to original music and not necessarily listening to score or music that currently exists somewhere else because then I think right. you're just seeing that a lot now in cinema where you'll listen to a score of a movie and you'll go, nah, this is just fucking Sicario. <laughs> you know, it's right, like when, right, you're, when right. you're listening to it, you're like, this guy was just listening to the Sicario score when he did this whole thing. That's what, so, um, <laughs> but yeah, yes. Uh, music is such a beautiful thing. It's, I think it's the one art form that will emotionally timestamp any moment in your life that when you just listen to that song again, it'll just refire all those, uh, you know, those chemicals in your brain just by listening. Yeah, some, to sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a horrible thing. <laughs> Music is like, it's, if I, I realize when I'm like, oh, I'm having a bad day, I'm like, oh, it's because I'm not listening to music. Like I need to be one of those people that has the, the headphones in all day and has like a soundtrack to my life. And that might se seem like narcissistic, but it's like, <laughs> it's just, it's just how I can deal with life better. I'm like, this all needs, this all needs music. Otherwise, what are we doing here? I, I feel nothing. So no, like I, like I said before, your music with, with, with your, with your work is just incredible. Even with your, with the podcast, like I said, the, the your choice of, is that all composed for you or do you uh, license music? No. So I'm very fortunate. Like I've, and the synth stuff, the synth stuff that you're hearing is is part of like that new retro wave sort of synth wave movement that started. Oh my god! Uh, at this point, like maybe eight years, nine years ago, which is mm -hmm. very nostalgic, right? Because that sort of feels like old John Carpenter. It feels like the original Nightmare on Elm Street. It has all those vibes, but then it's also danceable to a certain extent, and and. You know, prior to that, I was a heavy metal kid. So, you know, listening to like okay. Megadeth and like the old school kind of stuff like that. And this was like a weirdly, weirdly similar sort of progression, which was interesting. Um, these days you go to a vinyl mm. shop. If you go to a vinyl shop these days, you'll see a metal guy walk in and in his hands, he'll have like Madonna's first albums and a bunch of synth stuff. 
<laughs> it's interesting you said that because I'm going to have to listen to metal music and then the synths. But I, I love anything with synths. Like 80s music is my, is I, oh. I love 80s. Oh. I love the 80s. If I could time travel, I'm born in 88, but I was a 90s kid, which was still a great decade. Yeah, yeah. But um, the the metal, I, I've recently just started listening to, to metal music. And I'm like, this, because, you know, you hear people foo-foo it and say, oh, it's not music. No, it is music. And sure. it, it, it's pretty great. It's pretty awesome when you need to just feel that, like, electricity of energy, of an energy surge. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not negative. That's Because I, I listen to a lot of hip-hop. Yeah. And, and there, I, I, like, I like more of the poetic hip hop, which I think, I think most hip hop is very poetic. It's their, it's their, they're telling their, the story of their life. And, you know, it, and it, it, most of it, a lot of it's tragic and, and hard upbringing. And, and, but, I, but I do notice because of all those drums and, and because of the, um, very, because of, of the, the tough upbringing and, and the life that a lot of these like hip hop artists have, have lived, it gets me in more of like an angry, like, um, yeah, like, you know, let's go, to kick everyone's asses and you know, it gets me in the, the like this kind of like a negative mindset like I, I use it for the gym but i was noticing it with with metal i'm like this doesn't do that to me at all this is like actually like it's more fun and uplifting so yeah. I, I don't know why that stereotype happened with it well it's it's aggressive like the, the, there's this sense of aggression because i think I'll, when i started listening to that stuff i was a teen Right. And there's there's a lot of young kids that get into that world, especially that world of the hardcore world where, mm -hmm. you know, they're looking for a family, they're looking for a community, they're looking for a sense of belonging. And at the end of the day, when you look at these a lot of these like scary metal kids when you're growing up, it's like, no, 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 this guy's just misunderstood and he really wants to be friends. And so Yeah. And so then you Yeah. Yeah. And so you go to like do, Stranger Things. Like exactly. the Hell, what is the Hellfire Club? It's exactly, exactly you know, Eddie. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then it's even stranger because, you know, for years I did music videos for like the hardcore music scene, which I was not really into when I was a kid. I was more of like a nerdy metal kid. And the hardcore dudes just seemed more aggressive in general. And then when I started to go do the shows and film for those guys and meet <laughs> meet those dudes like Agnostic Front and, and Sick of It All and all those different guys, I, I re realized what sweethearts they were. Um, and then when you see these pits, like these dancing pits and all this sort of craziness, every once in a while there's a psychopath that goes in there and <laughs> swings his fists around and calls it dancing. But most of the time it's just a bunch of dudes that want to get together and let out aggression together and, and they take care of each other. So um, it's not as violent as it seems from the outside. And I think a lot of that is projected by that group as it's self-defense, like this is mm -hmm. our, this is our trade. This is our, our tribe. This is, this is what we want. We're aggressive. We, it, it, uh, they're really smart dudes. It's funny. It's funny how many older, uh, hardcore dudes are just vegan, super chill. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know i know we don't want to hurt animals it's like wow yeah, really I, yeah. I wasn't expecting this at all yeah um yeah, yeah it's it's like more of like the the, the country boys that are actually frightening yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. sweet that sweet country music you're like what are you what are you doing what are you yeah, up to that's, exactly that's <laughs> exactly you guys were playing you guys were playing that track while burying a body last week you know exactly yeah. exactly no that's <laughs> 
That's really interesting. Um, you know, speaking of the of the just rock and metal, that my did you ever hear the story of my grandpa with the uh, Kiss wanted him to do the album cover? No, no. What's the story? Yeah, yeah. Well, the agent called him uh, the Kiss's agent. They call he called uh, my grandpa, and my grandpa was like, you know, at this point in his career, I believe it was in the I believe it was in the early eighties. He was like, I, I could do it. He's like, but I want to own the original artwork, and I want to get paid. I think he asked like ten times over the asking price, just because like at this point he didn't he didn't really need the money sure. but then he eventually i don't know if you heard of ken kelly ken kelly did ended up doing the album for them and he actually did a lot of like um metal album covers ken kelly was my my grandma's cousin huh. so ken kelly came over and me- my grandpa mentored him and then he was basically passed it off to ken kelly he's like here ken you you do the job you need the money but um, my, my grandpa wasn't a very, he was like one of those classical guys with that, with that stigma about metal music. And maybe that's why I had that growing up because he was like, oh, that's, that's just noise. It's crap. But he, he was just <laughs> such a guy of his generation. He was like, I like, only want to listen to Sin- Sinatra and Stravinsky. And, and a lot of people get a, a little bit, you know, they're, they, they're a little taken back because they're like, well, I bet Frank like loved this metal, like Iron, you know, Iron Maiden this. And, and I'm like, no, he, he actually hated all of it. <laughs> Sadly, I'm sorry to sorry to crush your dreams. Hated he hated Star Wars. <laughs> Let me just uh, keep going. But because he was just he was just such a classic man. And again, I guess that goes back to his his be, him being a simple man. He didn't want more stimulation coming in. He wanted to stick with what he knew, what he liked, and that was his inspiration. And nothing else was coming through. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's interesting to see that. You know, he found this place where he was able to mine these ideas and all this inspirational stuff and then really sort of hone the craft. Although it must have got, see, this is always the big issue that I have as an artist, right? As soon as you start to make money doing your art, then it becomes a job. And then you're asking yourself, am I doing this stuff because I need cash this week or am I doing this stuff because it's inspiring to me? And it sounds like he was hitting that point towards the end of his career, right? Where painting became a money thing for him. I think it was always a money thing for him, to be honest. I mean, he was, he always said that it was just so natural to him. I mean, when he was like three years old, that's when he started drawing. So he was three years old. He sold his first painting or a a crayon drawing rather to his grandmother. And his grandmother was always the one encouraging him to, to keep drawing, to keep drawing. So when he got that first penny, he said it really sparked something. And I, and I can't imagine a three-year-old having these thoughts, but again, it was a different time. (laughs) It was, you know, 1932 (laughs) is in the great depression. Things were rough. And, and I guess he just was like, wow, I can, I can sit here and, and do something that I am good at all day. And I don't have to listen to anyone. I want to, I want to pursue art. I mean, he was, he was working professionally when he was uh, 14 years old mm-hmm. and, and that's what they had to do. He had to come home and give his parents all the money. And that's, that's just, again, the times Crazy. and he, he labored over it for at least, I mean, God, when he started in 1944, then he went and was a ghost artist for Al Cap, which was, Al Cap was like huge at the time with little Abner. Mm-hmm. And, and he was working for him and making like $500 a month, which was really good in the fifties. And so it was always, it was always really, to answer your question, it kind of was always about money because he actually, he really, really, like I said, he loved photography. If he could have done something with that, I think he would have explored that avenue. 
but he really loved baseball and the Giants wanted him. He was like, I think 18 years old. They, he was a, a freaking amazing, like left fielder. Wow. And his, his arm was, his, he was freaking, he's so athletic, which is a lot comes out through his art. You can see that inherent like athleticism and that, that peak action in, in all of his artwork. And that's, that's just because he's channeling himself. Wow. Um, but so he, he was really, really into baseball, but then he was like, and I, I don't know if this is the Sicilian in him, but he was like, they're not paying enough in baseball. And I don't want to go to Texas. I'm staying in Brooklyn. I want to be comfortable. I don't want to leave my house. Um, so he kind of, he kind of just picked what was more convenient for him. And, and later in life, he really did reflect on it. He goes, you know, I've been criticized for my art, but I don't think I would have been criticized for playing ball if they would have seen me out there. They, they would have never said a thing about it. So he had a, he, he, he went back and forth and, and kind of just, I don't know, I think just questioned his, his choices. But like I said earlier, he, with, with art, he did not spend every day doing art after he got into the point of doing paperbacks and, and um, album covers and, and uh, movie posters because he was, he, I think the first movie poster he did was uh, What's New Pussycat, the Woody mm-hmm. Allen comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, they paid him like, I think they paid him like $4,600. And this was I don't know, 1963. Wow. And that was more than he was earning in like a full year. And that's when he was, re- that's when he really started to check out. He was like, all right, I'm playing stickball. I'm going bowling. <laughs> and Ellie, Ellie, you let me know <laughs> when I have a deadline. And he'd stay up all night. He was like a crazy person. He'd stay up all night and do one painting. He put the, he put as, as one painting, it's called Neanderthals. He stayed up, did it all night. It was due the next day. My grandma was reaming him. She was so pissed off. She's like, Frank, we need to, we need money for the family. What are you doing? Uh-huh. And, and he ended up putting the painting in the oven and they, they made it, but they made the deadline. They could ship it out the next day. And it, he, he freaking ripped a piece of Masonite from the basement. Cause he didn't have any materials. <laughs> like, so this is, this is how Frank Rosetta worked. It was, it was really, you know, again, money. He just had, he had to, he had to do it. But I think he had those glimpses of like during the process of during the creation where he was like, wow, like, you know, really, he was really impressing himself. He was like, sure. this, this is how, how it's done and listening to the music and, and getting into that. But it was such a, you know, like I said, burst, burst of, of output one to three days. And then he was, then he took it. Sometimes he'd take a year off, which my poor grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder she was so controlling later in life. This is like a therapy session, Mike. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm putting all the pieces together. <laughs> uh, it's time to take a break. Time to take a minute. And uh, I want to talk about gear. I want to talk about our sponsors. Um, and wow, man, I'm surprised I'm able to get through today's episode. For some reason, my brain is, is on a five second delay, right? So my mouth is moving too fast for my brain today. So I apologize ahead of time when you hear me stumble a few times and, and lose track of my thoughts. It's just been a really rough start after this weekend. (laughs) All right. Anyway, um, so a lot of you listeners out there are constantly asking me, what should we buy? What gear should we have if we want to be a great filmmaker? What should we own? You don't need to own anything. Let me just say that straight up. You don't need to own any of this stuff to be the best filmmaker in the world. This is just equipment and gear that I use, that I can vouch for, stuff that I use regularly. And a lot of folks are always asking like, how do you turn things around? What kind of cameras are you using? How do you get that look? Well, I'll talk you through it, okay? So first up, 
uh, good friends over at Puget Systems. I don't care what it is that you're doing. If you're a video editor, if you're someone that's creating music, if you're someone that is using Photoshop or Illustrator, I highly suggest you buy a PC. Save yourself the time and energy and the money uh, of having to go to Apple and become indebted with them. I mean, we're already indebted with Apple with everything else. My fucking phone. I have a laptop with these guys. I like to spread my money around. I like to spread the wealth around so that there's competition out there. And I like the idea that I'm not being restricted on what hardware I'm allowed to put into my box. So I wanted to build a PC initially. Um, but when I got in back into doing PCs, I was also running a post-production company and I didn't want to be the guy that built the PCs. That would mean that I would be the tech support guy. I didn't want to do that either. I wanted to be a fucking director, man. And so I looked high and low for a company that would give me the customer service, that would give me the level of quality that I needed, and that knew how to put hardware together that worked specifically for the software I was going to use. Knew whether or not I needed to buy the newest graphics card, whether or not it was going to affect my video timelines. And I also needed to have someone in my corner for when the software updates came out and changed everything consistently. I found Puget Systems. Head on over to PugetSystems.com. It's a family-run company. They're from uh, Washington. They're a West Coast company. Love these guys. They ship anywhere in the United States. Um, and honestly, if you become someone that has a pin from us, if you're a guest on the show or if you somehow get your hands on a pin, there's a code on the back of our pin card that gives you free shipping for a Puget System. FYI. Um, but uh, yeah, go there. Choose a system based upon the software you're going to use and have it blow your mind, okay? And these guys will put together systems based upon your needs. So they like to uh, talk to their customers. They consult for their customers. And if you're someone that lives outside the country, if you're someone that wants to build your own system and you just need to help a Puget, they have a consultation that they'll do. I think it's like 500 bucks, and they'll walk you through the entire process of building your own Puget system. And if you're someone that has your own computer and your own PC and you're just looking for a resource of benchmark tests, people that are putting the gear through the different tests and how they're changing things based upon the updates, and is that codec worth using, and is this codec worth using, all that stuff is on PugetSystems.com. Go there right now. They are the oldest sponsor of the show. I love these guys. I love them so much. Um, like I said, PugetSystems.com. Also supporting the show are our friends over at ShareGrid. Now, if you're somebody like me that has a bunch of gear, we have a ton of gear at the house right now, and it's just sitting there. It's not making any money. Maybe you aren't working. Maybe you're taking the summer off and you don't want to take jobs, but you still need to have that passive income. You need to have income coming in religiously in order to make rent, right? Why not put that gear to work? How many other fellow filmmakers are out there fellow photographers are out there that need those specialty pieces of equipment. Uh, you can put your gear up on sharegrid.com and you can earn extra money renting it out to local filmmakers and photographers. And here's what's great about it, because I know a lot of you are like, this is my gear. What happens if it gets lost? What happens if it gets broken? ShareGrid vets every renter and gives them access to instant insurance to make sure that your gear is always covered against damage or theft for 100% of its value. ShareGrid is the largest camera sharing community with over 150,000 creatives sharing over 1 billion worth of equipment. 
Sign up today at sharegrid.com backslash ILWP and get $100 worth of promotional credits for your listings, meaning that you can advertise $100 worth of stuff on their website, putting you higher on the list, right? So when people are like, hey, I want to get my hands on a Blackmagic 6 Pro camera, well, you have the advantage. You know what I'm saying? Um, you can uh, list all types of gear there, camera, lighting, audio, grip, props, or even location, really anything production related. Don't wait. Start putting your gear to work. Go to sharegrid.com backslash ILWP. Now, I know a lot of you are asking, Mike, what is this equipment that you've had? Well, maybe you've seen my post recently, but I've been posting a lot of new gear stuff. Um, yes, Fujifilm is coming on board as one of our sponsors of the show. We're not there yet, but they are going to be on board. Um, they have sent both Gina and I brand new Fuji cameras. I have a new camera that isn't even on the market yet that we're testing and trying. Uh, really gorgeous stuff. One of the things that's really interesting about what Fuji is doing is they have internal LUTs in these still cameras that replicate all sorts of different film stocks. There's actually a really cool grain management um, uh, filter in there where you can actually turn on different levels of grain and the intensity of grain on the images that you're shooting on your camera. Uh, it's really cool, especially for the little point and shoot that I have. Um, and apparently, I haven't tried it out yet, but I'm about to. Uh, it shoots really gorgeous video stuff too, which is cool. And then Gina's playing around with their new medium format camera, which is pretty awesome. So if you want to see what these images look like, just head over to my Instagram account at Mike Petchy on the Instagram or at the, nah, it's just at Mike Petchy. And that's where I'll be posting all that. And, um, one of the reasons we got into the Fuji stuff, especially for Gina, is that we wanted to be able to start using constant lighting. Um, and uh, when you're using medium format film, it's really difficult uh, to get the exposures with constant lighting, with the settings that she wants. So we're going to be doing some tests, hopefully this week, to see uh, the kind of beautiful images that we could shoot, maybe just with a single quasar tube. Um, that's kind of the theory. So we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Um, but also, we also have all sorts of great gear. We just got all of our um, Teradek stuff in. So now we have our small HD monitors. We have a little onboard Cine 7. We have a full-size client monitor. We now have it all wirelessly videoed um, using the Teradek units. Um, we're still waiting for a couple pieces from Wooden Camera. But once those come in, we're going to build out our super sexy Blackmagic 6K Pro camera setup. Um, and all of that is going to be powered by our friends at Indie Pro. Indie Pro is the one-stop shop for all your power needs for your pro video and DSLR cameras. Indie Pro offers a wide selection of professional V-mount slash gold mount batteries and chargers and battery plates. Let me stop here. What we got was uh, we got our hands on gold mount batteries from them that are awesome. They hold quite, they, they hold a, a huge charge. I was just running the wireless and the client monitor on uh, two of those gold mount batteries and that thing was up and running for like a few hours. It was crazy. And they charge super quick. So what I'm doing is as I'm running the Indie Pro batteries on the back of the client monitor, which is also powering the receiver for the video. 
And then on the camera, we put one of those battery plates, those adapter plates, which is powering the uh, Blackmagic 6K Pro because I love the Blackmagic camera, but their battery system sucks, right? Let's just be real. So I'm just gonna skip past all the little battery units because you have to charge them using the camera unless you get an aftermarket battery charger for them. So I'm just going to power it using this battery plate, which I'm running my Indie Pro battery off of, but that is also powering the uh, HD monitor, which we have there and the transmitter. So everything is run off of one battery, which is super awesome. Um, and uh, I wanted to find a really cool battery company in Indie Pro. Uh, not only are their price is great, but their customer service is the shit. I really like these guys. Um, they have solutions that are compatible for most popular brands in the market today, such as Sony, Canon, Blackmagic, Panasonic, and numerous others. Located 30 minutes away from New York City, they manufacture and assemble many of their power solutions in-house. This gives you the ability to customize any of their power solutions to fit specific needs, meaning that they're not manufacturing everything in China. So like you can call them and go, hey, look, I have a specialty cable that I need that needs to be long enough to run to the back of this camera plate on this rig, right? It's pretty awesome stuff. Um, we're offering a special discount code today for 20% off your entire first order from IndieProTools.com. Use the promo code LOVE20 at the checkout to receive that discount. Again, 20% off any of the power solutions at IndieProTools.com with the code LOVE20. L-O-V-E-20. Um, like I said, check out my uh, Instagram stuff. I'll be posting them up there. You can see how I'm putting it together. Uh, we have a fucking sexy little setup now pretty cool like we literally have everything i need to shoot uh, a short piece it's pretty awesome and the, the kit is like small it's contained it's lightweight um and so yeah you guys have any questions about the gear i use any questions about the stuff just write to me on instagram at mike petchy and i will talk you through it uh, last but not least on today's show i also want to give a big shout out to jambox.io uh, this is the place to go to find music for your films, for your podcast at affordable rates. And I mean quality music. I'm not talking shitty stock music. Uh, Jambox, when I found them, it kind of changed everything for me. Uh, if you've seen any of the recent edits that we've done, if you watch the Robert Pattinson stuff that Gina directed or the boys stuff that we did for Entertainment Weekly, um, all that stuff was scored by music and sound effects stems that all came from Jambox. I'm about to start a new project later this month, and we're also going to be scoring that from Jambox. I'm telling you, it changes everything because most of the time when we're dealing with clients, they don't put enough money aside for music, especially in advertising, especially where advertising is going right now, right? Because everything's, we want this to be a TikTok video. We don't want this to look professional. I just got a brief from a client that said, underlined, we don't want this to feel cinematic, right? They want it to feel like something that was shot with an iPhone, but it's still a corporate company. They still want you to be triggering emotions out of these folks. And you know where you can still do it and make it seem like it still belongs on uh, one of these uh, social media outlets with music and with sound effects. 
dealing with your clients' prices, head on over to jambox.io and look at their subscription plans. If you're just a creator, right? And you're doing all sorts of work. You're creating stuff for social media, web streaming, personal projects. Maybe you have a podcast or a vlog, right? Does anybody still vlog anymore? Uh, $9.99 a month with a 30-day free trial. 30-day free trial will get you uh, access to all their music. If you're someone that's creating commercial stuff, this is the account that we have. $19.99 a month. Um, you get access to everything from the unlimited creative plan as well as full access to all sound effects and stems for those songs, meaning that you can pull those songs apart and rebuild them to fit your pacing, which is fucking the shit. And this stuff can be used for paid advertising, corporate business events, weddings, live events. And there is an annual commitment, but a seven day free trial, unlimited commercial. And if you're a student, you get all that for six bucks. Okay. Or if you don't want to subscribe, single song licensing starts at uh, $29.99 for nonprofit wedding stuff, $129 for branded advertising stuff. It's all on jambox.io. And go there and just listen to the music, browse through it, use the link in the description of our episode. Let them know that we sent you. Head on over there, check out their music. You're going to love it. It's going to change your work today. I'm telling you, it will. All right, let me see. I got... Okay, yeah, that's what we got so far. Lots of new sponsors on the way. I'm going to try to like organize this a little bit better as we progress. Um, but thanks for listening and thanks for supporting the show. And uh, be sure to visit any of our sponsors' Instagram page and just say, hey, we hear you. I love the process. We appreciate it. We love you. Let's get back into it with Sarah. Fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, obviously he loved what he was doing when he was doing it. I mean, it was probably just, you know, getting motivated to get started. I, I know exactly what that's like. Like if I don't keep myself going, I could very easily just be the guy that makes meals all the time. It doesn't do anything. Like I, I that's, that's doing, so I mean, come on now. If you're someone that can cook, I'm a little uh, jealous of Gina. I'm like, now that's that's a mean looking steak <laughs> that you just made. Like that's a that's a perfect. So I, I I don't know. I guess I guess it's it's just perception of like, you know, are you are you not doing anything if you're creating a meal for yourself or you know go back a hundred years and that was doing that was doing a lot is create creating a meal for your family and you know hunting the animal or yeah. whatever like that yeah. that was that was the process that was just necessary so. I think it's just really perceptive. I think I think the world of you, Mike, when you're when you're just cooking. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll cheerlead you for that. Uh, thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, 
you're right. I mean, this is like a therapy session for me now because this is what my therapist would say. It's like, why are you beating yourself up? And I was like, I don't know. Did I not? I didn't. I didn't make a movie today. Well, of course you didn't. It takes like seven years to make a movie. I know. <laughs> so it's. I, 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 I get it. I and then. For me, I think very similar to what it sounds like uh, Frank was going through. I felt that way when I was doing music videos and commercials for so long. And that business is just relentless. And you often feel like you're, you know, putting so much effort and energy into something. And at the end of the day, you're just trying to help a guy sell a warehouse full of fucking shit. So you're like, for, for quite some time doing that stuff, I felt the same way where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do... You know, I just want to hang out and uh, cook meals and, and make my own little short films. And and I, like uh, when we moved out here to Los Angeles, that was the big breaking point for me. Because prior to this, I used to run a production company. I had a post-production company. I used to go through the process of dealing with clients consistently. And when I moved out here, uh, and really the podcast has saved my ass. When I moved out here, I was like, I don't want to go back to the commercial world. I just don't want to do it. I Like I understand how yeah. crazy it is. And and, uh, you know, Gene and I have had this conversation. I'm like, okay, well, we have like this breaking point in the bank account. So like, if I get below a certain aspect, then I got to do what I got to do. I guess I'll go back and do some work, which it sounds like what, what Frank was doing a lot of. It, you just sort of hit that point where you're like, ugh. But then when I start to do it again and I start to get into the grind of making that stuff, I'm like, oh, this came out really cool and this is fun and this is really great. Um, but I, I totally get that mindset where if it, goes from being art and it goes from being something that you enjoy and that it's truly inspired and it's like something that you a story that you have to tell because you're you're you woke up one day and you found this thing and, and the world needs to know that you found this thing then that, that's the goal of every artist right and then the, absolutely the, yep. the 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 curse and i guess it's not necessarily a it's it's a blessing and a curse the blessing is that you can get paid to do that so you don't have to go do something else. Like I don't have to go be a cop. You know, I can actually, you know, make money with my work, whether it's photography or whether it's any of this other stuff. That's the blessing of it. But then it's also, there's a sense of curse involved because then when you start thinking too much with the business side of your brain, it seems like the creative garden just shuts down after a while. And so every artist that I talk to has this sort of tortured aspect of it where you're you're trying to manage those two things where it's like i'm either a great artist or i'm a great business person some days i'm never really both at the same time it's very hard to do yeah it, it definitely is hard to balance because you're right it is two different parts of the brain and i honestly think that's why my grandpa was so blessed that he had my grandma doing the, the business side of of the work yeah and he didn't have to deal with that he didn't know he never paid a bill in his life like he didn't have to deal with any of the stresses because i'm the same way like you are i'm like if i see a threshold and i'm like oh my god we're not gonna pay the bills this is so bad <laughs> and then i have to go into like my hustle mode where i'm like okay well i can't you know I can't take any commissions and draw anything this month because I need to sell things. I need to get on the, on the website. I need to push, push, be creative and, and creative in, in marketing. But that's still at the side of the brain where it's like, you know, you're, I, 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 I like it, but sometimes I loathe it because I never like to like ask for things. Yeah. And it's like, ah, yeah. 
but um, but I, I think having that that balance and that that like you know I, I, Gina is a, a successful artist, photographer, and videographer, and everything else, and and she's a director too, right? Yes, yes, she's recently crossed yeah, into yeah. that into the crazy world of directing as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you both have so much going on where you just almost need like a like the third person, like I, Joey and I, my, my partner and I, cause we both run for Zeta girls. We always talk about the, like jokingly, we're like, all right, since we're not having kids, we need to like get a third person in here <laughs> who can like basically take care of us. Like I need, I need like a, a mom kind of again, like I need to hire someone. Yeah. Uh, we're not there yet, but that's, that's just to take that load off to do the dumb, like I'm, I'm finally starting to allocate more things like, okay, accountant, you can do my bookkeeping sure, and this, sure. because when I was trying to do everything, I was so worn down. Like when I'm doing all the shipping and I'm like, well, if I'm going to do all the shipping, I'm not going to write a blog this week or do anything. This I'm just going to do the shipping, but it, it's definitely, you definitely have to make a point to say, okay, this is no longer serving me. I'm giving this power to someone else and focusing on that creative part. Yeah. Um, but that, that too comes, that too comes with money, unfortunately, with the curse. Yeah, yeah no, it's <laughs> success and money. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and getting to that point, I, I'm right there with you. To, when you get to that point, you're like, okay, cool. Take this off my plate. But you know, if you saw my to-do list today, it's just out of, and it's, I, I hate the beginning of the week because it's like a lot of bullshit on my to-do list, which is like that office work. Like I got to answer these emails. I got to pay this credit card. I got to do this. I got to do this. All that crap is on the beginning of the week. And it's usually about Wednesday or Thursday that it goes back to being creative again. It's like, oh, cool. Let, let me work on this script that we're working on. Let me work on this idea. Or I'm going to sit down and do some drawing. I'm going to do this. That's always at the tail end of the week. And then the weekend mm -hmm. these days sort of disappears into the food adventures where I'm like, oh, now we're going to do some food <laughs> shit, you know? So Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a great balance though, Mike. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, we, we all we all sometimes don't feel like we're living the dream, but then from the, the other side, you know, the grass is always greener. It's like, that, yeah. that, you're living the life. You're, that's the life I want to live. But <laughs> it's, it's uh, <laughs> like you said, it's, it's, um, Go ahead. I, I'm not bitching. I'm just going to say that. I'm not, I'm, not bitching. I'm not bitching about it. I'm just, you know, I'm moaning about it. I'm not bitching about it. There's a difference. There's a difference. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm bitching every freaking first week of every month. I know we're on July 5th now. I'm like, oh God, the Amex is due. No. Every, every, and then and April, every April. I'm like, that's why I'm, I'm not doing the taxes anymore. I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm so dramatic that I spend like from January till April 15th mulling over each expense and yes. write off. And, and my, my partner, Joe is like, I don't, again, the back, back to the Italian reference. I mean, I feel like I can say this cause I am Italian, but he's like, is this like what Italians do? You just like go over every single thing. He's, <laughs> and he's German. His, his, <laughs> so he doesn't understand it at all. He's like, uh -huh. you way too much emphasis on this. He goes, it, maybe if you spent like half the day, you'd be a little bit more productive on things that actually matter. So I, <laughs> I have, I have the little, the little voice that lives with me constantly telling me to, to be better. But it's 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 because you can't you can't, you got I gotta you gotta do what you're doing. Spend for the first week dealing with that. The next part of the week, the latter part, being creative. Because I I've been we've been um I don't know if you saw we had uh finally Death Dealer comics come back. Yes. And yes. Doing this like the story building and and the, the arcs and and where where Death Dealer's going and and bringing in new characters and seeing like working with writers and and the publisher. It's just been that's. That's the fun. That's where I'm like, this is fun. And, you know, it's also a little bit stressful because I want to, 
I want to honor my grandpa and everything that I do. Sure. Um, because it's, it's his artwork and it's, it's not mine. And I want him to be, I want his voice to come through. So it is, it's definitely a balancing act with, you want this like testosterone fueled story because it was Frank Frazetta, but then I'm like so sensitive. I'm like, but can we have like a little bit more heart in this? Like, can we just, can they not have sex <laughs> on the first scene? And the, the guys are like, Sir, do you know what you're dealing with? You know, if it's Frazetta, I'm like, okay, you're right. And he, he would have wanted this. Let's, let's go ahead. But, but I, I do, I do truly love, like I just read, um, we're, we're putting out mini series like within the series because we're creating this for Zetaverse. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we have a, um, a, a ta- really talented female writer coming in. I can't say any details yet, but I read her story about one of the female characters uh-huh. and I was like, now this, now this is depth. <laughs> and my partner, he, he brings more of that testosterone. He goes, okay, yes, for you, this is great. He goes, but you know, we can't have it every, all your vision, Sarah, like, see you little parts of it but but yeah there's i don't know where i'm going besides the fact that yeah that's that's the best part of the week is when you get to yeah to to, to, to envision what the future is going to be of, of of just creating and world building it's amazing that's that's escaping this reality a little bit it's nothing better it's super cool that you're involved in that whole process that's really cool and what so how how detailed do you get into the story building process for that book or is it are you just hiring writers and presenting things to you guys and you're you're just choosing what angle do you want to go into or are you actually writing out different ideas yourself so when we first were um we were first cold emailed by lexi leon he's worked with like iron maiden and works with evanescence and disturbia and he he builds like these 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 worlds and comics around like a basically like a brand or a band or and he's really really creative and when he came to us he was he was willing to work within our limitations because we had such like strange like work around with copyright because of the family and Uh you know just what we could do legally which is all another complete headache which is not fun in the process at all when you have to deal with legal yeah but um but when he came to us, we just, we talked for many, many hours about the vision and where it needed to go. And because it had been done before, because Glenn Danzig of, of, of the misfits mm-hmm. did his take on death dealer and then image comics did their take on death dealer. And James Silkey did his take on death dealer with the novels and nothing really ever took off. And my grandpa was always really disappointed about that. He was like, I just want, he's like, if fire and ice could be made with Ralph Bakshi, we can make something from Death Dealer. Like, that's my character. Mm-hmm. I illustrated Coney on the Barbarian, but now I want Death Dealer to have his own, like a, a, a universe of sorts. So it was really crucial in the beginning to, to have Lexi and the team understand my grandfather's vision and and take all of the notes that he had from past comics, past past um, novels, and say he liked this, he didn't like this. Let's you know, let's let's try something a little bit new. Of course, of course, you go to the 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 foundation of it. It's it's he's a he's a barbarian with with this with this helmet on. You know, he's not going to like start flying or anything. So there's not like <laughs> cra- crazy things, crazy different like elements that you could put into it. It's going to essentially be sword and sorcery. But there was a lot of um, heart missing from from past stories, and that's what I wanted because you 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 know the antihero, like you said earlier about the the guys and, and with heavy metal, and there's always there's always a, a story mm-hmm. of why yeah. why is this person doing this, and I can't I can't approve anything that doesn't have a why. I'm like this if this doesn't have heart, just forget it 
throw it away. I don't want to see him axing heads off and, you know, just these hot babes laying everywhere. There, there has to be a story. So when we, when uh, Lexi found Mitch Iverson, Mitch is the uh, writer of the Death Dealer series. He worked on Dota, Dragon's Blood on Netflix mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and a few other shows. And he had, I recently talked with him and he said he had been working on like barbarian stories for 10 years now, 15 years. And now he just, they, they never get anywhere. And then when he was asked by Lexi to join the team, he was like, holy shit, <laughs> I get to do a barbarian story and it happens to be Frazetta's death dealer. No way. So he's just, he's, he's just putting like so much of like his, his passions for psychology and, and just, world building and and barbarism all in death dealer and you know like i we're, we're definitely at this point just we're seeing we're seeing it before the scripts um and we're we're getting the approval with the art and everything like that but our artist stefano stefano martino he's just i, I when i when i read it sometimes i'm like how is he going to illustrate this this is <laughs> this is like too this is too much this poor guy my, like, my heart breaks for him like this is how but he does it he freaking knocks it out of the park and i, I can't believe it i'm like this is again it's just it's it's it, it, it's, a, it's a lot, a lot of work and I'm just, I couldn't be happier. I mean, I just read issue four and it might remind me, I'm going to have to get your address because I need to send you the issues oh, please, that we have out so please. far. But when I read issue four, I was sitting there and I was, I was actually writing in real time to the writer, Mitch, and I got to have like a, my, my comments on every part. And it was, it was so good. I'm like, this is it. This is it. If you know, if Hollywood doesn't see this, they're idiots. I'm like, how can we self fund this? This has to happen. I don't care if they don't like it. They don't see the vision. They don't get it. They have to have, we have to have a Frazetta universe, but you know, oh my God. we'll see. We'll see if something comes from it. I, I I'm, I'm hopeful, but like you said earlier, how Hollywood works and the politics and the money and uh, it's, it, I hope to make it happen in my lifetime for my grandpa. Cause that's what he wanted, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Well, you know, like it's, uh, it's self-financing is the way to go these days. I mean, it just depends on, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it, but the business is so fucking crazy right now. So it's, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah it's no, but crazy. I mean, and you did a Kickstarter for your, for your uh, 12 kilo, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm yeah. That's insane. That's crazy. Like, and do you mind me asking how much you had to raise? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> what was the? So we ended up raising through Kickstarter. I think it was like sixteen grand came in through Kickstarter, and then I funded the rest of it. And that piece was just under forty. So for that whole piece, that cost me only like uh, just under forty thousand. But so now I now I love you even more. I'm like, really? You did that with like forty thousand dollars yes. that's not a lot of money yes. and you I just mean, but see that's where that talent oh my god mike that's incredible thank you i mean good, look I, I had an amazing team of folks that weren't getting paid i had an amazing team of people that were volunteering their time i get a lot of credit for what the crew did these guys and women were fucking phenomenal and the fact that we were able to uh create 1980s russia in a small town outside of Boston, Massachusetts, you know, in a, no way. In, a, in a fucking warehouse, you know, like, like just amazing. The location was amazing. All the stuff was really um, like, it came together in such a perfect way. Um, and I've been very, it's- very lucky with both of my proof of concept shorts, that one and who's there, just the perfect elements and really great team of folks. And, um, yeah, we're in the process of potentially of doing a new one, and uh, and I'm just building a whole new team. 
of folks around me because it's now West Coast because all the folks were East Coast. So now I'm out here in Los Angeles, so it's a little different. But um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, Did you do you know Russian? I had to ask that question. No, like, do you, no. you speak Russian? No, I, no. That's no. wow. And I st- <laughs> now and, and I still, all the all the actors were they Russian? Yes, um, majority of them were. Um, the professor Ernst, um, who passed away, he was amazing. Um, he only spoke Russian. So, and I, I think I've told the story on the show, but. Um, yeah, I, what I, the move was that I hired, uh, a translator and then I hired a second translator to make sure that everybody was telling me the truth. (laughs) And so, so, uh, smart. Yeah. So the sets were a lot of fun and, um, I had a blast putting that piece together because it it ended up becoming such a visual piece for me because I knew that I was going to make a movie for an American audience and most of the folks, uh, would not be able to speak Russian. And so I wanted to make sure that I made a film that when you watched it, subtitles were optional. Like you still got exactly what's happening. You still understood the power of play. You still understood the focus just on composition, just on blocking, on like posturing, all that stuff. So it became almost like a silent film to a certain extent with two different levels of scoring. You have the music scoring, but then you also have the Russian language. And um, I decided to go down that route because A, I wanted it to be legitimate, but also B, I thought the Russian language is a very scary sort of abrasive language to an American ear. So um, it made sense for a horror movie to me to do that. Uh, And so- It was incredible. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's- I, I, that's, that's really fascinating that you didn't, you don't speak Russian and you took on that, that sort of a project. And yeah. I mean, do you, you know what it, it kind of reminded me, but almost there, I, I, I think, I mean, this is one of my favorite shows, but I, have you seen, um, dark on Netflix? Dark? It's a, a German show. Yeah. It's, it's a German show. Oh, I think I've seen, I haven't watched the show, but I think I've seen an ad for it. Uh, it's, it's really good, but it's, it's very similar in the way that, you wouldn't have to do. I, I watch it in German with English subtitles, but mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're the, the trans translations kind of funny. It's like, well, it's just, I might as well just like not read what I would because it doesn't <laughs> translate properly. But um, it was it, the same sort of thing, like just the atmosphere, the posturing. Um, you didn't really need to. The words were secondary; it could have been uh, silent. Yeah, and that's what I, I think loved most about with Twelve Kilo. I was like I said to you earlier that you didn't even need to like hear anything, and then that is so beautiful and captivating. And I don't, I don't see that often. I really don't. Uh, it's it's kind of a lost craft. Well, you know, it's it, there's there are a lot of filmmakers that I have now become part of their group because of doing this film that do that do still believe that movies are visual medium and that it is the, the art of telling stories through pictures. Um, even though we're in this whole, uh, Renaissance of writing and, and sort of like soap opera drawn out streaming service stuff where, you know, the focus is more on quantity over quality and it's trying to get more shows up to keep people subscribed longer and, you know, you, mm-hmm. you're staring at these sequences and scenes that even though they're incredibly talented individuals, they just don't have the fucking time to do them in order to to, right. to, to deliver these things when, 
you know, the rabid, you know, step up to the trough <laughs> fucking, you know, all you can eat buffet audience uh, is like, I need to binge on this stuff and I need a ton of it to, 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 to watch. So, you know, I think that's what's so sad about our time now, like we, we, where we do binge and don't care when someone like yourself puts seven years into something and then it's like, oh, I just watched it and now it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. I won't, you know, and I'm, of course, there's exceptions to that rule of people who are still very, um, I don't know, just moved and, and, and really absorb things. But the majority of people, like you said, the streaming services, that's why they're, you know, I, I saw already people are like season five, stranger things, not going to be till 2025. Like, can you believe it? Or I'm like, well, they have to make what, like, do you know what goes into this? Like, do you have any idea? Go one day on set just to, for a commercial and see what goes into that, the manpower that goes into that. But they, they just don't have any idea. So there's nothing to like relate it to. And I think that's like kind of what's so romantic about the fact that my grandpa stuck with his stuck with his his treasured gems of films yeah. that he was like I could watch I watched hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and and I mean even me I like to go back and watch my like my dare I say my rom coms that I love so much <laughs> and like like my like one of my favorite films ever has never been kissed uh -huh. with Drew Barrymore I just freaking love that it just puts me back into the a time where I'm like this is. This is feel good. This the the, the uh, Beach Boys music over the ending uh -huh. with the kiss. Like it's just so it's so romantic. Uh -huh. And she's such a, a nerd, and I can relate to that being an awkward person that just says the wrong things. But um, yeah, I, I think that that is we're losing that magic in society, and people need to like chill out and say, do I really need to consume this much? Yeah, and but they won't because it's money. Uh, so it's yeah. yeah I mean, it's tough. It's tough. It's a tough thing to sort of process. And look, I think it's great to, that there are outlets for quality, and I think there, it's great that uh, these streaming services are creating an industry where a lot of the to the technicians and the folks that work in this business can consistently work and make a good, a really good living at it. And I think that uh, that's the power of of th this work and the streaming services, and then. You know, you you also want to you pretend like they're they have your best interest in mind, but there are reasons why that we had strikes and hours and like what they want to pay and what they don't want to pay. It's still all the same fucking game. But at the end of the day, yeah. like you know, what do you? We were watching the new Stranger Things last week, right? So Gene and I were watching it. First few episodes of this new run. If you guys haven't seen it yet, spoil. I'm not going to get into details and spoilers. I'll just talk about quality here. First few episodes, beautiful, gorgeous. The lighting is gorgeous. The color selection is gorgeous. The locations are phenomenal. The wardrobe is really uh, fantastic on it. But then in typical streaming fashion, you sort of hit this point where you go, all right, how many times do we need to be in the fucking basement with dead kids everywhere? Like this same fucking right. shot has been used. This same shot has been used in the series probably 36 <laughs> fucking times at this point. And I get it. I get it. Can we go to a new location? Can we move on? And you know what's interesting? I haven't, I have to get some people from that show on, on our show to find out. But I have a feeling that a lot of the newest season was structured around COVID. And when you look at mm -hmm. it, you go, okay, so there was a small, did you watch the, all the new stuff yet? Uh, yeah, I did. Okay, yeah. okay. So spoilers, everybody. So if you if you watch the new stuff, you have uh, the team that is in Russia. You have the group that is in the bunker with her, and then you have the kids that are on the road. 
they split it up into small groups of actors. And I think that's for COVID reasons. And they never really cross until the last two episodes, which were delayed, because then they had to go shoot extra scenes prior to COVID with everybody in those scenes together. I think that whole season was that cle- makes sense. Cleverly that done. That makes sense. Yes. I think that's Yes. Because I, I, I was trying to figure that out. Thank you for figuring that out for my, my little brain. I'm like, that... This, this, it was strange it having the the groups, but then when they would share like behind the scenes, they, they were all masked up and taking precautions. So you're right. It had to be an effect of COVID, which is, but which is what, a, what a great workaround. Yeah. Very creative workaround and doing it and keeping it pretty epic. But then you sort of hit a point where you go, I wish that you guys didn't have to do as many episodes. If this was a five parter, then this would have been beautiful, like craftedly beautiful. And you would have had the time to make these things really gorgeous at that same budget point. But I've had showrunners and and cinematographers on the show that do streaming stuff. And then we've talked off air and it's just a fucking, it's a grueling uh, nightmare sort of uh, marathon run where, you know, you don't have enough money, you don't have enough time. And so you're trying to be clever with, what they call their box episodes, which is how do I save money? Because I know I have to blow money on the intro and I have to blow all the money on the outro for this thing. So what do we do in those three episodes in the middle that'll save us cash? Can we do an entire show within the same warehouse? You know what I mean? Like, can we, It's yeah. you, you see them cutting these corners and you go, you wouldn't have to fucking cut this corner if this was just a movie or miniseries. Um, you know what's the best miniseries example of that is Chernobyl. Did you watch the uh, Chernobyl series on HBO? I haven't. No, I have not seen that. But so, so many people have told me, and I'm writing it down to do it right now. Oh. So that was a mini a mini series. How many episodes did they have? I feel like it was four or six. It's in that range. Okay. And talk about Frazetta. Talk about like and when you watch those series, they came out well after I did Twelve Cam. But man, like they the very on the same sort of lifeblood um and i would mm. i would have loved to have directed one of those shows um they're gorgeous they're absolutely oh my absolutely yeah gorgeous. I, I i appreciate that when someone can say this is it we're just doing a, a limited series we don't care if you want a, a, a season two it's not happening yep and i i really appreciate that when when filmmakers will take that stance i mean i'm, I'm sure it's got to be hard though when you're presented with a whole lot of money and they're like you sure you sure you don't yep. want to do something else yeah but um yep. that that was um i want to go back to stranger things real quick that whole episode papa i believe that was number seven of yes. eight or yes. was it six of seven and that was that, that whole episode i'm like why yeah the whole episode i'm like well why you don't need, you didn't need this entire episode it could have been because the last one phenomenal great i loved it i loved how it all tied in but but that whole and i think i think it did go back to the bloody walls like at least three times Ugh. within just that episode Ugh. and i was like this is this is too much Ugh. we don't we don't need to keep seeing the dead children it's, it's we got it we're, uh, we're good and then it's, uh, then you hit a point where you go like I'm wasting hours of my life, you know, like when you're watching these things and you're like, I, you're not teaching me anything new. I'm not seeing anything new. I just wasted two hours of my fucking life on this one episode. Can we just condense this stuff, please? Please. Yeah, you definitely feel like the little the little um 
synapses in your brain like they're kind of like just like you see them like dying off like if you close your eyes and just visualize it my grandma used to say that all the time she she liked movies but my grandpa and i watched way too many movies and my grandma would be like you guys are in front of the idiot box it's it's damaging your brains <laughs> and i think about that a lot i'm like ah, she wasn't totally wrong i mean in regards to like i won't even watch the news anymore because i'm like that's that, that is the idiot box 100 yeah. yeah. i'm not watching i cannot download any more of that crap my mom calls me and she's like giving me an update i'm like mom i don't care doesn't matter everything is cycles everything in history repeats itself you want to get really blown away go go read go read history books and then report back to me we can talk about something and and help each other but i, I don't want to hear about the news anymore please for the love of god after covid i feel like we all feel i feel like we all feel like that we're all yeah. kind of like all right we're, yeah. we're done yeah, yeah too yeah. much yeah yeah, yeah. Too, too much get me out but, of my get me out of my know, house quick, yeah the one one show that, just on that topic again, because it's so interesting, was Game of Thrones. Like, and I, and do you think that was why that the the season finale was so terrible because they were rushed? I mean, what, why, why, why did that happen? I mean, season finales are always terrible. Like, I don't know. I, I have a theory about streaming. So like, st like series, long running series, they just become money machines. They really do. So if you look at like uh, The yeah. Walking Dead, you look at any of these different shows. They become money machines. And um, I get it. I totally do. You brought up a solid point. Like, if my first feature film, I'm going to get paid nothing on it. And my second film, depending upon how good my first film is, is whether or not I'm going to get good cash. Like, if you get hired to do a Marvel movie as a first-time director, they pay you as little as they possibly can. And then if you're successful with it, then you can renegotiate. Now it's like six, seven, eight million dollars for your fucking job. So a, mm -hmm. a lot of these folks are working for for years and years, years and years prior to you even knowing that they existed. And then they finally get to a position where they're like, all right, do I either stick with what the show needs to be, which is a short form piece where I'm not going to make any fucking money or do I stretch this out to be two or three seasons because then I can buy a home then I can get my stuff. It's a, it's, it's a real fucking question. Not to mention the agents and the management and all the people that are behind you making cash on this that are going to be bullying you into taking that position, doing it that way. Um, yeah, so, your legal, the legal team. Uh, you got to do it. You got to do, do it. And <laughs> okay. So, yeah, yeah it's it goes back to not me, and I don't I don't know I'm I'm not educated with with how it works in other countries, but I do I I definitely see this being a little bit unfair on and on on most levels with with just arts in general in this this country it's not yeah it, it's just not it's not fair and then and, and the cost of living and it's like you know come on we're th this is the center of our culture or as as art so it's movies and it's 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 america it makes america yeah. and and we're not paying we're not paying these directors of a first time marvel movie and how much do these these corporations how much money are they making like blizzard and yeah. dc i mean it's 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 wild so yeah. I think there needs to just be a little bit more marching, <laughs> protesting. We're we're done. You guys better give us our fair cut soon. I no know. more, no more entertainment. Then what kind of country will we have? I know, I know. It's really our our main export at this point. It's yeah. I don't know. It, like I don't I don't mean to make it sound like it's all gloom and doom because it's not. But you know, it's so when you when you ask me about these series and whether or not 
at the end of the day, they're not making these decisions based upon creative. And, and, and yes, creative is definitely a big portion of it. And I have talked to showrunners that are very much trying to make creative work, but those showrunners still have to place a phone call to, you know, yeah. stakeholders and board members that are just like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. we, we yeah. just, we just proved the audience intake on this. So we can triple the amount of advertising funds that we do on the next season. We're not fucking stopping this right now. And, <laughs> and you, you do me a favor, take that one idea and stretch it out to 12 episodes. And I know the <laughs> original con content, the original content comes from a, a feature script, but make it fucking seven hours long. And you're like, ah, what do you say? Right. If someone came to me tomorrow and said, Mike, we want to make 12 kilometers into a, a, a TV series, I would I would have to figure it out. I would have to. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's so interesting. That's I love. That's why I love like, talking to like you, your director and getting the, the behind the scenes of like what what is it actually like? You know, we, we can sit here as, as an audience and fantasize about it and and critique it and and then but when you actually know the the details and and the structure it's like it's it's just there's so much that goes into it and it's incredible that people like yourself still do it with with all of those obstacles that you have to get through i know <laughs> i know it's like <laughs> it's, it's like i decided that my job is someone's gonna put like hot pokers in my eyeballs like twice a week it's like okay <laughs> all right that's that's okay that's why i got a therapist <laughs> it's just like okay hey everyone needs a therapist everyone that's good i, I got i've read so many freaking self-help books i'm like okay this is the, the uh, art of unlearning to to be yourself like you have to learn everything relearn everything that's not downloaded from your grandparents or your parents and and kind of try to see life in a different way and god is that a lot of work too oh, like, right, I'm, uh, self-help thing is grueling if that's a full-time job within itself i know it's nuts it's nuts <laughs> um how are you doing on time sarah are you okay yeah, yeah, I got a little bit more time. Okay. Yeah, we're, don't we have? Yeah, we're two forty two forty five my time. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to double check and see because I before I, before we break this up because we're hitting that point and this has been such a great conversation. I've really enjoyed hanging out with you, by the way. Oh, um, me, guys, you're you're awesome, Mike. Seriously, oh, well, I just feel like you. I just know you, but again, I think that's that that Italian thing again. Yeah, keep that, bringing that back up. Uh, you should be hanging out here. <laughs> we'll be eating food. Uh, and and guess I'm, I'm 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 telling Joey if he doesn't move me out to California soon, he's done. <laughs> he's fired from Frazetta Girls. We're not staying in Florida anymore. I'm like, why do you want to stay in the swamp? <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> and yeah, and you can also drink water when you eat my food. Okay, <laughs> we'll break Perfect. that. We'll Thank break you. that myth. Um, well, <laughs> let's talk about Frazetta Girls for a second because this is this is is this primarily what you're working on these days? Is sort of taking the reins and and uh, you know managing this uh, Frazetta Frazetta Girl stuff. Yeah. So. Frazetta Girls started in 2013. It was a few years after my grandpa passed away. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I looked at my grandpa as, as grandpa. Like I was, you called them cramps. I called them gramps. Like we just, you know, would make poke fun at each other. I never even, honestly, this sounds very naive, but I was also 21 when he passed away. Yeah. I never even knew that his painting sold for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. I never the only the one glimpse into that my grandpa was important was a couple of the stories that my grandma would tell me about George Lucas coming out, but I wasn't really a Star Wars fan, so that really didn't mean anything to me either. <laughs> um, like in Clint Eastwood, I'm like, okay, cool, I, I don't care about Clint Eastwood. Um, 
But you know, if she said like, "Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio came over today when I was in on my in my teens," I'd be like, "What?" <laughs> like I'd pass out and die. But I, but I just I just didn't really care. But like the one the one time I think I was like seventeen, I was in I was in high school and I was working at this restaurant and the bartender was like, "I heard you're related to Frank Frazetta," and I was like, "Yeah." my grandpa and he goes he's like can you can you have can you have him sign this for me and when you go back this summer and i'm like sure so i, I was like my grandpa gives signatures like this is he has a museum whatever but uh-huh. so after after he um before right before my well sorry my grandma passed away she was the the, the empire running the empire of everything and and she um did not leave a will uh-huh. so that was fun for my grandpa uh, who never paid a bill in his life. And then he's like, I have to split the estate up between my kids. Like, are you serious? Uh, so he was left with that task. And my, my family started fighting. Like, I mean, of course they have, they have 90 original paintings and it's worth a hundred, a hundred million dollars. Of course, there's going to be some sort of feud and, and lawyers getting involved, but they they eventually split it up and and my mom was like you know I, at the time I had just graduated from college and communications I I was looking to go into advertising and at the time I was working in post production and casting voice talent and just you know doing everyday little jobs in post production and when mm-hmm. my mom my mom presented it to me my mom's like listen like Robert Rodriguez is going to do a, a remake of Fire and Ice and. Um, you know, you're, you, you're, you're so close to your grandpa. Just think about doing this business with me. And I'm like, you guys are a mess. Like, I do not <laughs> want to get involved in this. Like what, what, what this is, I like, I love, love grandpa, of course. Like, and I'm a, I'm a very like sentimental, nostalgic person. So like the fact, you know, of, of course, in hindsight, the fact that I get to think about my grandfather every single day and, and learn about his life before I knew him and see him in, in like when he was that charismatic athletic guy. I'm like, I can't believe this, this person's my grandfather. That's crazy. How, why didn't I get the cool factor grandpa? Why didn't I get the athletics? What the hell happened with my jeans? But I, um, so, so when I, so when I went out to California, it was 2013 and Robert Rodriguez was holding this huge like museum event with his originals and all these like actors and, and, filmmakers were there and i was like well these are all the people that i really look up to and i had no idea that they were all influenced by my grandfather like i I had no idea he didn't talk about it he didn't tell me how freaking cool he was like he just he just was cool he didn't have to brag about it so so that kind of opened my eyes where i'm like all right you know what I'll, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to come into the business, see what I can do. I grew up on the freaking internet. I, I believed in social media full heartedly yeah. and I, I just started doing it and there was no money. Like the first, you know, even with my grandfather's notoriety, building an online business and a print store and, and, and kind of building on what my grandma had already made. She had already had a merchandising business, but it was very simple. Like they had old vintage posters, calendars that they would they would um, have a publisher make and, you know, statues here and there. And, and, and the mi- business was mainly ran out of the museum. They never really had like a big online presence. Yeah. So I, I, um, I started, I was like, you know, th- this needs to be, we need to reach millions of people. We need, we need the fandom to continue. And I just was like pushing very organically over the years with like no capital. I didn't, I didn't get any original art. I had nothing, nothing to my name. And I was working like five different jobs at some, like some points I was working real estate, uh, just what really, that's kind of like in my blood. Like I'll, I'll do whatever I have to take. Like no job, no job is below me. And it was finally, finally, like, you know, some of us were really screwed in 2020. Some of us were a little bit more fortunate and 2020 was 
the first year that we actually became profitable oh, as a wow. business. That's awesome. And, and yeah, it's, it's really, it's really rewarding. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm grateful that this opportunity fell into my lap pretty much. And I definitely feel that I, I can kind of hear my grandma saying, do something else. Like my grandma was always like my biggest supporter <laughs> where she would say like, you can, you know, she a delusional grandma. She's like your voice. You could go to Broadway. You could be a doctor. No, grandma, I can't even, I can't <laughs> even add without my fingers. I can be, but whatever. Thank you, grandma. Thank you for all the confidence building and the delusion. But, um, I, I can still kind of hear her voice like saying like, why are you, why are you doing this? And maybe that's, I'm just projecting and I don't hear her voice at all. But, um, my, but my grandpa, I, I definitely think that he'd be proud and, and he, he would, he would have great faith in me knowing that I would do what he wanted because of how much I just respected him. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been fun. It's, um, now that, like I said, we've gotten into comics. This is something that I've I've wanted to expand while, while it's fun doing merchandising and, you know, making skateboards and shirts and pins and stickers. That's more, that's more, um, my partner, Joe, he, um, that's his thing. Like he's, he's like this, he's been that weird internet kid since he was like 13 years old, like selling, selling like Nikes online and like phone cases. And mm -hmm. you're like, what were you you have connections in China. What are you doing? You're 13. What are you doing? And he was, he was always just that like strange kid that you never knew what he was doing. And, and he's really into like fashion brands. Like, um, like he always, he loved Bape and like a lot of like, it's like Takashi Murakami. And uh -huh. he was always inspired by, by quality and for him to fuse his love with, with the, with like shirts and materials and, and, and just like maple wood on the boards. He, he loves it. Like he's just, he loves the design process, manufacturing it and, and just the whole thing. And I'm more, I'm more on the end of, I get to, I get to handle logistics yeah. and that can be a little bit of like the grueling, like, Oh my God, like this is, this is crazy. Um, so, so I'm hoping that this gets to the point where it's, it is a machine and I can focus more on on storytelling and creative and and having the logistics running a little bit more smoothly. And then Joey will stay in his place and keep creating things and pretending he's Santa at his workshop. But, but that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. The, the, when I, we finally got the comics come out, I'm like, yes, now it's starting to all work out for me. But God, it's it takes years to build. Like I mean, when I think about that, you know, 2014 we started this and we're starting. We actually are profitable. Yeah. Like it takes it takes it takes 20 years, like realistically, to actually start generating some money. Mo most companies, most businesses, whatever they may be. That's those are the years you got to put in, and that's why you to wrap it all up. You have to love the process. Ah, I see what you're doing. Ah. There. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's it's super cool that uh, that you're that you're doing this, that you're carrying on sort of the family lineage, and you're you're uh, sort of a, a, a safekeeper of uh, Frank's work. Um, I think it's I think it's rad, man. I think it's really cool. It's really nice Thank to you. know you. It's really nice to have met you. Um, there's so much more we can talk about, but I feel like we've hit the point where I should probably kibosh the rest of this, but, um, it, it's been a pleasure, Sarah it really has. It's, oh my gosh, you're, you're, you, you made my, you made my month, like starting off my month with it, with a good tone. And I just, like I said, when I saw you on Instagram and I've go on your lives. Like I, and I've told you this before, I got to gush over you one more minute. You have a great voice, uh, like great voice. It's just, it's so you. soothing. Thank gonna you. have like recordings of you while, while I go to bed. Is that uh, creepy? <laughs> <laughs> Mike's voice is so soothing. I'll just record it for you, Sarah. Go to sleep. <laughs> okay, a little, yeah. a little lullaby. <laughs>
Well, there it is. Today's episode. I dig Sarah. She's really cool, man. I really do. I dig her. And I, and I, like, I like her mentality. I like what she's doing. I like how she's putting Frazetta Girls uh, on the map again and how she's uh, carrying on the legacy of her grandfather. And it's, it's nice to know. It would be nice to know that if I had a legacy that I was leaving behind, that there was a family member that knew who I was that was just keeping their eye on it for a while. Because his work is so iconic that it's going to be out there. It's going to be continuously shared. It's going to come up. Like he has influenced so many people. I didn't even get into the details of his, like the Frazetta girls, of, of how he uh, illustrated these girls and the photography he used for that process. I should have got into that. Maybe I'll have her back on the show and we'll do a deeper dive. Let me know if you want me to. Because I this this episode, the both of us were kind of on our game, but it was like a early Tuesday morning. Let's catch up. Let's chat. Um, and I thought it went really well, but we could go deeper. Do you guys agree? I think so. I think so. Maybe we'll do another one. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. And thank you, everybody, for following me on Instagram. And uh, like I said, at the, at the front end of the show, lots of fun stuff on the way. I'm trying to plan out episode uh, 200. I've uh, got so much stuff happening through the month of July. I, uh, I think we might be getting booked on a gig halfway through. Uh, my birthday's coming up. Uh, my buddy Rick's birthday's next weekend. I, I think I'm supposed to go over to his place and smoke wings for him. I think that's going to happen. Um, and uh, we just got so much going on. So it's great. Busy summer. Very excited. I've got a lot of episodes on the way. I'm going to try to load as many as I can into the queue. Um, and August, second half of August, I head back to the East Coast. So I'll be on the East Coast. I'm going to a bachelor party, and then I'm going to stay on the Cape with my brother and see family. So while I'm there, I may do some like recorded on my iPhone stuff, but I'll make sure that I queue up the episodes so that you won't even notice that I'm on vacation. You know what I mean? That's it. Thanks for listening to the show, everybody. And as always, I will see you next Tuesday. Bye.